Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Hope Church family. So glad you have joined us. As you take your seats, go ahead and open your Bibles on your Bible app or there on your lap. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. While you're turning there, if I hadn't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Scott. I would love the privilege out after our service at guest services. I'll be out there. I would love to meet you, see how we can get you connected at what God is doing here at Hope. Mark chapter 6. We'll be there in just a few moments. But I want to begin today by asking you to think about What characteristic of God do you most often dwell on? Maybe said a different way, when you think about God, what's the first thing that your mind kind of gravitates toward? The first characteristic of God that your mind gravitates towards? I'll give you some examples to maybe get you thinking about it. Maybe for you, it's it's God's faithfulness. Praise God that he is a forever faithful God, despite how faithless we can be, despite how many times I blow it and you blow it, we have a God who is faithful. Maybe for you, like Aaliyah led us so well in prayer to remember God's goodness, that if you were to say the characteristic that I dwell on most about God is his goodness in a world that's riddled full of evil and corruption and injustice, God is always good. God is good all the time. Come on, church people, all the time. God is good. Maybe it's God's faithfulness or his goodness. If you stick around hope long enough, you will see my characteristic of God that I naturally gravitate towards when I think about God is his sovereignty. I love the the warm blanket for the soul that is the sovereignty of God, that no matter what's happening in the world, he's never stressed, he's never out of control. Our king, our sovereign king is in control right now with galaxies and molecules, all of which are in the sovereign hands of God. There's billions and billions and billions and billions of things that he has created that right now are continuing to exist because of the sovereign hand of the king of glory. And there's 8 billion people on the planet that he knows every thought, word, and deed. And they're all within his sovereignty. God is sovereign. So I thought about that this week. I thought there's, there's actually another characteristic that, if I'm honest, I don't dwell on the most. I probably take for granted the most. And it's an unavoidable characteristic of God. In fact, if you are here today and you have breath in your lungs, whether you love Jesus today or not, you have been a beneficiary of this quality of God, this characteristic of God. In fact, all of creation has been a beneficiary of this characteristic of God. And here it is, that God is our provider. I want us to feel this for just a moment. It does not matter if you love Jesus today. God has provided for you whether you give him glory for it or not. 
There are people all over the world who could care less about Jesus or maybe have never even heard the name of Jesus, and yet they have money in their bank, food on their table, clothes on their back, and they don't realize that it was given to them, and they're not giving him glory for it at all, but it was given by a God who provides. For you today, follower of Jesus, would today be a reminder all throughout the story that we're going to study that no matter what your life may look like or lack thereof, whatever you have, God has provided it to you. King David, when he's leading in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, he has this worship service where he is worshiping and they're raising money to, to build to what God is working towards and, and building in their, in their midst. And he has this amazing line that I want us to focus on as we talk about God being our provider. Look at First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. King David says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Check this out. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Everything you have is a generous gift from our providing God. And I want to start that way because I want us to think back over our lives like I did this week. I thought about my life even before I knew Jesus, just all the ways through different means and circumstances God has always provided. He might not always provide in the same way, but God always provides. Amen? Amen. And today, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse -verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're just joining us at Hope, we are studying. We started it last year, verse-by-verse, -verse, through a, a study of Jesus's life in the Gospel of Mark. And we are going to read today of Jesus's, one of his most famous miracles. And it's a miracle of provision. Here's a fun fact about this miracle. Other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the story that we're about to study today is the only miracle found in all four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, these are the biographical accounts of Jesus's life. And other than him raising from the dead, the story we're about to study is the only other miracle found in all four Gospels, and it's this incredible story that you've probably heard of Jesus feeding thousands. So pick it up in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. Hope you have it open there. We're going to navigate through this passage of Scripture for the remainder of our time. Here's the Word of God in Mark 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that he, all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. 
So that they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were about five, were 5,000 men. I'm going to take the next 30 minutes or so and unpack this with a big idea that we call our sermon in a sentence. Here's where we are headed today. Jesus alone can provide what is needed despite impossible circumstances. This is where we're headed today. I'm going to try with all my passion to try to convince you through this story in Mark 6 that Jesus alone can provide what is needed despite impossible circumstances. We'll unpack that by looking at three things that Jesus provides in this story for these people and also for us. Three things that Jesus provides. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Amen. Number one, Jesus provides rest for busy disciples. It's the first thing we see here, maybe something you would miss, but Jesus provides rest for busy disciples. That's how the passage starts, but we have to go back to earlier in chapter 6. Earlier in chapter 6, Jesus sends the 12 disciples out two by two to go do ministry. Last week, we took a detour, and we read about John the Baptist and what happened with him, but we're now back to the 12 disciples who are out ministering and doing a bunch of work for the kingdom. So they come back at the beginning of our passage today to give a progress report of all that they've seen done in their midst. So that's the scene. They come back to Jesus. You sent us out. Now we're coming back to give you a progress report of everything that's happened. And here's what you got to know if you're new to the story. They are right now at the height of their popularity. As you even saw from this passage, there are thousands and thousands of people now following Jesus and his disciples And I have to think there's probably some business leaders in the room, some entrepreneurs. This is like what you dream of right here. The thing that you began is creating quite the stir. There are tons of people now following. If you're an entrepreneur or a business leader, you know this is growth season time, man. This is the time to capitalize, to take the hill. There's no rest for the weary. Let's take the hill and push forward. So they come to Jesus to say, here's what's going on. And they, I, I imagine they're getting ready to gump, jump back out there to continue to see what happens. But Jesus provides them something here that they might not even know they needed. Look at it in verse 31. After they give this progress report of all the good things, what does Jesus say? Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Here's what I don't want us to miss. Jesus, I believe, sees them in a vulnerable place. Some of you, I think, are in that vulnerable place right now. You ever been there where you're so busy in life that you, like, forgot to eat lunch? (laughs) You, like, turn around and it's like, how's it 3 o'clock already? I didn't even eat lunch today. It's because I'm so busy with all the things that are on my plate. And don't get me wrong, these are good things. If you look at what the disciples were doing, they're they're healing people, they're they're teaching people, they're adding people to the kingdom. I have to think, as kind of a type A doer kind of personality, this is exciting for the disciples. I can imagine they come back for the progress report with Jesus, and they're like, man, we're kind of killing this disciple of Jesus thing. We're doing well, and we can't wait to get out and do some more. 
It might have felt good in the moment. Some of you right now are in a season where it might feel good in the moment, but I want the word of God to bear weight on us. And what Jesus realizes is it might have felt good, but it wasn't sustainable. They needed rest. I love how author and pastor Vance Havner said it. He said, if we don't come apart and rest, we'll come apart. Some of you, that's the sermon right there because you're in the middle of the summer craziness and you're going and blowing and doing the thing and you just need to hear that in this story, Jesus provides busy disciples rest, not just the busy disciples here, but maybe the busy disciples here. Notice Jesus doesn't say after their progress report, awesome guys, keep going, keep grinding, keep pushing forward. In fact, I want us to feel this Jesus is willing to sacrifice ministry for the sake of the disciples' souls. You need rest. So they went away to the desolate place. We talked about this in our Rhythms of Grace series, but this is a word in the original Greek language that has many different English translations, but it's the Greek word aramis. It's translated in many different ways, and we find Jesus often retreating to the aramis. Sometimes it's desolate place, like in this verse. Sometimes it's wilderness. Sometimes it's desert, quiet place. It's a place we often find Jesus and him imploring his disciples to be unhurried, to have silence and solitude and and rest. And I want us to to not just rush to the the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to get there. But I want us to, to realize that Jesus still provides rest for busy disciples. Maybe you need to, to receive that today as something that you might be doing a lot of good things, but if you don't come apart and rest, you will eventually come apart. And right now, I want us to, to ask the question, is this something I need to start walking in? Just because our Rhythms of Grace series ended doesn't mean the Rhythms of Grace in the life of a disciple end. We want to continue to make sure we are healthy in our lives and taking part of this rest that the Savior provides. And I know what some of you may be thinking, man, that sounds great, but you said it. I'm in the middle of the summer craziness. I I wish I could be like those other people and rest, but I can't rest. It is impossible. And I would say, I think you're probably right if you just try to do it in your own strength. But let me remind you of what I'll remind you for the next little bit all throughout our message, Jesus alone provides, can provide what is needed despite impossible circumstances. I believe he provided rest for the busy disciples and he still provides rest for busy disciples. Here's the second thing we see him provide. Jesus provides compassion for shepherdless sheep. We see that in verses 33 and 34. He provides compassion for shepherdless sheep. The story goes on. I believe now they get in this boat and the the disciples are are getting excited about getting off into the Ramus. They got some R&R coming. And and if you read in the story, there's some crazy stuff happening around the lake. I want us to, to try to understand what we're seeing here. As they're making their way across the lake to the shore, there are thousands and thousands of people that actually see where they are going and have the audacity to run around the lake on foot trying to beat them to where they are. These people are a little excessive. Fandemonium. 
I want to try to put this in a relevant sense. I, I don't know, 8.30 was not the service for this, but maybe 10.30 is the service for this. There are, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people right now flocking all over the country and really all over the world to go see Taylor Swift in concert. Anybody? Anybody see Taylor Swift in concert? Okay, right on, that's cool. Some of you are like, no. If you didn't know, Taylor Swift fans are called Swifties, okay? Swifties got nothing on these crazy people, Okay. Maybe Swifties isn't your era, isn't your generation. Maybe you can get your head around Beatlemania. Anyone remember Beatlemania? I mean, this is chaos. People doing whatever it takes to get a glimpse of Taylor Swift or the Beatles or whatever fill-in-the-blank celebrity you have. Have that in your mind as you see these disciples or you see these people running around a lake just to beat the disciples where they are going. Now, I want you to think, you've settled into the fact that you're headed to the Aramis. You've been doing work and ministry, and Jesus provided you now rest. You're headed there, and you see this happening. There's no turning back. You know exactly where you're going, and it's by all those people. Now, I want you to just feel in this moment, how would you feel if you saw that? Let me try to illustrate it for you. I want you to first think of the person in your life that Pastor Teddy likes to say is an EGR. What does that stand for? Extra grace required. <laughs> Starting to think of some names, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's your boss. It's somebody at your work. It's somebody in your family, right? Like if when you think of them, you're just like, man, just extra grace required. Has everyone got that person in your mind? Okay, push pause on that for a minute. Now I want you to think of something good. I want you to think about your favorite vacation spot. I want you to think, I don't know, I know we all vacation differently. Maybe your vacation, your idea of an ideal vacation is headed off to, to Hawaii somewhere. You're gonna spend some time in Hawaii. Or, or maybe you just need a long weekend in San Diego. Or, or maybe you just wanna head up to the mountains and, and do the camping thing. Whatever it is, I want you to imagine you've set the date on the calendar. It's time for the Aramis. You just got off the plane in Oahu. You just opened the resort door in San Diego. You just pitched the tent and got your favorite camping chair at the campsite, and you are about to settle in. And out of nowhere, the EGR <laughs> comes busting into the scene. Hey, I'm here to vacation with you. How would you feel if your boss showed up to your vacation? How about this? How would you feel if thousands and thousands and thousands of your boss showed up to your vacation. Here's how I would probably not be feeling, and maybe you're more spiritual than me. I would not use this word to describe my feelings, compassion. No, get out of my vacation. I've had this date marked on the calendar. I've been looking forward to it. I've been praying towards it. This is it. This is the Aramis. And I just stepped on the shore of my rest, and you're here. That's what's happening in this story. We read this sometimes, church, like a fairy tale. This actually happened. I want us to imagine ourselves in the scene. Think about that and think, man, I would think, get away from me. I need some space. You're bothering me, all the feelings and things that happen in me. And I just praise God when I think of that and read the Bible that Jesus is not like me. Because <laughs> that's not his posture at all. Look at it in verse 34. When he went ashore, saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them. Why? 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And began to teach them many things. This word for compassion, such a strong word in the original language. It's a word that describes a, a deep sympathy. It's so deep that it actually speaks of, of, of it feeling it in your gut. Some of us have been there. You've seen something on TV. You've scrolled something on your phone. And, and it's so heartbreaking and so moving that you actually feel it in your body. This is the word Jesus had as he looked over the crowds. He saw crowds that were helpless and hopeless, not even able to feed themselves, wandering around like sheep without a shepherd to lead them and guide them. This is the posture of Jesus. It's not the only time. Another time he's looking over the city of Jerusalem, and look at what Luke chapter 19 says of this scene. As he, that's Jesus, approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it, heartbroken over it. Sheep without a shepherd. And I got to be honest with you. I always want you to know when we prepare and study for these messages, we're always preaching these to ourselves before we ever preach in front of people. And I'm just telling you, church, this wrecked me this week. Because I don't see people a lot of the times like Jesus is seeing people in this story. In fact, on Tuesday, I was on a prayer walk and I actually came to a point in my prayer walk where I could just see the, the cityscape of Las Vegas. I mean, I grew up here. I've seen that cityscape for, for years, most of my life, and I've seen it change throughout the times. And as I was studying this passage and now face-to-face -face with this, this city that I grew up in, I, I thought to myself, man, I think, I think I should weep more than I do. I think I should have more compassion than I often do because there's so many sheep in the city without a shepherd. So many times I just have tunnel vision and I walk right past them and they're not even people to me. They're just places and distractions on my way to where I want to go. Jesus doesn't see them like that. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And I praise God, there are, there are many times, most times, if, if I'm honest, by his grace, I do get to see them like I should. But it's a reminder for me this week that apart from his rescuing grace, I will not see people the way Jesus desires me to see people. You will not see people, apart from his rescuing grace in your life, he will, you will not see people the way he desires you to see people and the way he sees people. And I've learned, when I remember that I too was a shepherdless sheep, and I remember what it was like to not have Jesus in my life, it gives me a lot more grace for the people that are still currently shepherdless sheep. You see, the problem is we've gotten so used to this following Jesus thing and having our shepherd as our boy that we've actually forgotten what it's like to be shepherdless sheep. We've gotten far away from the grace that saved us and is at work in our lives that we take it for granted. That's why I'm constantly as a pastor and all of our pastors are gonna constantly tell you to remind yourself of the gospel. The gospel is not just the diving board you got into the faith. It is everything about the faith. It's the whole pool, the diving board and all. We have to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel. And so let me just do that on our behalf for just a few moments. We have to remember that we too were shepherdless sheep, hopeless and helpless, wandering about without any merit or hope of founding, finding salvation. And praise God, there was a, a God in heaven who had compassion for us a compassion that led him to step into our world, 
to take on flesh, to live a life that we could not live, perfect and sinless, and be wrongly accused and eventually be put on a cross, absorbing all of your sin and my sin in my place, dying the death that you and I should have died. And three days later, rising again from the dead to defeat death, hell, and the grave and to declare victory over it, to step into our mess with compassion. And I don't know your story, but this week, as I was reminding myself of the gospel, I thought about the fact that that God saw this punk rock skateboarder kid out in Old Henderson back in the early 2000s, headed for my own destruction, hell-bent on doing whatever I wanted to do with my life, having no regard for the God who gave me life. And he saved me. He became the shepherd of my soul, not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, but because he had compassion on a shepherdless sheep. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you just need to remind yourself of your story. He looked on your life and had compassion for a shepherdless sheep. And that's a good place to remind yourself of because it will give us the eyes that we need to see. There are still millions of shepherdless sheep around us every single day. And here's why I so passionately say that today. We could get so close to spiritual things, church, that they become a badge of honor to boast about rather than a surrendered life to lay down. And it's good for us to remind ourselves that there were some people in the Bible like that who had their badges of honor of spiritual things and they were not the disciples of Jesus. They were actually the enemies of Jesus and they're called the Pharisees. And Pharisees judged people based on their appearance, like so many times the Pharisee in me does. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus serves people based on need. And it's good for us to remind ourselves that I was once an enemy of God, and he had compassion on me as a shepherdless sheep, and he became my good shepherd. That's why I love how Paul David Tripp says it as a reminder. He says, no one gives grace better than the person who is deeply persuaded that he needs it himself. Self-righteous people tend to be critical, dismissive, and impatient with others. This isn't a one-time thing. We see Jesus being called a friend of sinners in the New Testament. That was not an honoring nickname. That was a nickname the Pharisees gave him as a way to mock him. Oh, this is the friend of sinners. This is the one who hangs out with the people that no one should hang out with, except Jesus knew they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he was with them all the time, shepherding them, showing them that he is good. May this challenge us, church, to be a people that has compassion like this, asking Jesus for his rescuing grace in our lives constantly as we make our way through our days, seeing people not as problems or distractions, but as shepherdless sheep. Can I just tell you, that's impossible in and of my own strength. I got stuff to do. I got places to be. And you're probably like me. You're thinking that is impossible. And it is apart from his rescuing grace. That's why I'm constantly trying to remind us today, Jesus alone can provide what is needed despite impossible Circumstances. It is impossible for you to see people like Jesus desires you to unless you beg him for his rescuing grace to open your eyes every day. Open your eyes to the things you don't see, to see people who are shepherdless sheep and have compassion on them. Here's the third and final thing. 
we see Jesus provide, and it's the thing most of you thought the whole message was going to be about. Jesus provides food for the hungry masses. Jesus provides food for the hungry masses. Back to the story. Imagine you just stepped foot, and now there's this sea of people, and you're going, what is happening? I thought I was coming to the Aramis, and now I have this problem right here. Again, feel what the disciples were feeling. And I'll give you my paraphrase of verse 35. You can go read it later, but it's something like this. This is the Scott Worthington translation. The disciples said, Jesus, we are in the middle of nowhere. It is late. Can you please get rid of these people and tell them to go buy something to eat in their own, in their own villages and towns? Go back and read it. That's the Scott Worthington translation, but it's like, hey, I got time for this. There's way too many people here. I love how Jesus responds. Look at it there. He goes, no. You feed them. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. What is happening here? We'll get to what I think is happening later on, but I want to try to paint this scene for us. Because when you think of all these thousands of people, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but I'll try to wrap your head around it of something we all just experienced, and I haven't had a chance to celebrate it here on this stage and celebrate our Stanley Cup winning champions, Vegas Golden Knights. It's been a party like for two weeks now and in Las Vegas. I love it. So cool to see what has happened in our city. But there was a huge parade to, to celebrate the Vegas Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup. Did anyone go to the parade last Saturday? Okay, some people at the parade. It was crazy. I had a prior engagement. I couldn't go. But after seeing all the pictures, I'm like, I'm not sure I would have loved to be there. I'd love to see it from a distance. Because there were literally thousands and thousands. I'll show you a picture. There's the Toshiba Plaza right there. In case you hadn't seen this picture. This is the T-Mobile Arena. Right outside of T-Mobile, there's the Toshiba Plaza. I have some friends in law enforcement. They said they shut this down, the Toshiba Plaza, when it exceeded 20,000 people in this. If you've ever been there, that's a lot of people. Those are all people further than the eye can see. Why is this significant? Because look back at our last verse in this passage. It says that there were 5,000 men present. So let's assume most of those men were married. And let's assume further that most of those men had one or two or three or four or five kids. I don't know how many kids they had, but every commentator that I have read said this was upwards of 20,000 plus people. What a picture now that we have to see this is what the disciples were looking at. And Jesus says, you feed them. <laughs> like, come on, Jesus. With what? <laughs> I got, I got no food. I got not, like, we thought we were getting rest. Jesus, what are you doing here? So they respond with the same sarcasm as we probably would. Look at verse 37. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, every commentator that I read talked about this being said in a disrespectful or sarcastic tone. I can feel what they were feeling. 200 denarii is about eight months worth of wages for the average worker. So they're saying, Jesus, okay, you want us to go drop eight months of work for people to feed for one meal and they're probably gonna ask for something tomorrow again? Like, are you serious? You feel the sarcasm? Like, come on, Jesus, get real. That's impossible. I love that Jesus doesn't really respond to that. Jesus just simply says, well, how much you got? 
This is where reading the gospel accounts together really helps. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all different perspectives of Jesus' life. As I said, this story is in all four. If you read John chapter 6, we get a perspective that we don't get from Mark in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 talks about Andrew, the disciple, found a little boy. I love this little boy because we don't know who he is, but I can imagine there's 20,000 people. Maybe he overhears Jesus say, you feed him, what you got? And he goes, oh, I can help. <laughs> imagine this little cute little boy. Oh, I can help. And imagine Andrew's like, okay. Kid, like, you weigh like 25 pounds. What are you gonna do for 20,000 people? And he says, oh, oh my, my mom packed me a lunch. I don't know if you guys remember Lunchables. Shout out to the 90s. Remember Lunchables? I'm envisioning this kid pulling out of his little backpack a little Lunchable. And he gives it to, to Andrew. It's, it's five loaves and, and two fish. These aren't real fish, by the way. These are plastic from Amazon. Don't worry. I'm, that'd be pretty gross. They say this is about the size of these fish, and, and the loaves were actually more like slices of bread. And so this little boy hands this to Andrew. I can imagine, imagine Andrew going like, am I supposed to bring this back to, is this real? Okay, okay, okay. Thanks, thanks buddy. Uh, well, Jesus, we got uh, five loaves and two fish and 20,000 people. <laughs> I love that Jesus doesn't really respond to this. He doesn't make a big scene. He just takes what little they had. And look at verse 39. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Now, I love these little details that I just want to tease out for just a moment. Jesus takes what little they had in this impossible circumstance, and it says he sits them down in groups on the green grass. Why the groups? Why the green grass? I want to show you what I think might have been happening here. See, 20,000 people are this big block of people like we just saw at T-Mobile. And all of a sudden, the disciples are now tasked to start putting them in groups. What they didn't realize they were doing is they were actually shepherding these people and doing what Jesus was exactly saying they were missing when he was having compassion on them. He's taking a group of people that needed to be shepherded. He had compassion that they needed a shepherd. And right in their midst, he begins to shepherd them by putting them in groups. And I wonder if the disciples started to realize what was happening here. And then it says... He put them down in green grass. Now, here's where I think the disciples' wheels were really turning. Because these disciples are good Jewish boys that would have grown up hearing all the Old Testament stories. In fact, they probably would have had the book of Psalms read to them as they went to sleep each night. And there's a, there's a psalm that's become known as the Great Shepherd Psalm that I want us to, to think about and look at for just a moment. And maybe this was on the disciples' minds as they were putting the people down in groups on the green grass. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in what? Green pastures. I can almost imagine the disciples putting these people down in groups of 50 and 100 and 20,000 people are now being sat down in green grass and right in their midst, the good shepherd himself is showing them, I am your shepherd, you shall not want. And then it continues, right in their midst, he is, he is making their childhood bedtime stories come true. And then it says, he takes the five loaves, look at verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves and, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. So Jesus takes this meager meal, 
prays over it, and it says he gave. Now, this word in the original language is in the imperfect verb tense. What on earth does that mean? It means he continued to give. He gave and gave and gave. And I guess so because you only give this one time unless there's a miracle that happens. And again, I want us to think in this room is probably over a thousand people. So imagine 20 times this room, the disciples are having to travel a little bit. So here's why I think he continued to give the way he did is because every time the disciples went to another group of 50 or 100 and gave, they had to go back and they had to grab more provision from the Savior's hands because he continued to give and continued to give. And I just have to believe every time he gra- they grab more sustenance from the Savior's hands, they remember the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How is he doing this? He must be who he says he is, this carpenter that we are following. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because he just kept giving and just kept giving and just kept giving to the point where 20,000 people were satisfied with a little boy's lunch placed in the Savior's hands. I wonder, Hope Church, if we could take a cue from the disciples this week, and every time you go back to the provision that comes from your Savior's hands, that you could remember, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What if every time you swiped your debit card at the grocery store and it went through, you could just remind yourself, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's provided for me. What if every time you check your Bank of America app and the direct deposit went through again and a a job that he provided for you is continuing to help you pay the bills and provide for your family, you didn't flex as if you did that, but you would remember, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What if you laid your head down at night, whether the day was good, bad, or ugly, and you said, today is over, I have breath in my lungs and a place to lay my head. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is an impossible situation. What impossible situation, follower of Jesus, is in your life right now that you just need to trust the shepherd with in your life. Some of you right now in your marriage and your finances and your health, you are looking at a sea of people with no way to eat. And all you have to do is put what little you have in his hands and trust that he is your shepherd and he can do much with the little we bring. That's how these disciples began. They just put what little they had and they watched God provide for them over and over and over again. I just believe you would be shocked what can happen when you trust God with the little that you have because he will provide for you like he has for billions and billions of people in history. I'll say it to you this way. We are to apply what we have no matter how small, knowing God will supply what we need no matter how big. What is it that right now seems impossible in your life? that you just need to put in Jesus's hands to say, God, you are the God who takes impossible obstacles. And for you, they're not impossible obstacles. They're incredible opportunities for you to show me again and again and again, you are my shepherd and I shall not want. Because look what he does. I love how this passage ends. All these people, 20,000 plus people, aren't just kind of like they got a snack, they're full. to the point where there's 12 baskets of leftovers. How about that? You remember back in verse 31 when the disciples were so busy they couldn't even eat? 
Look at Jesus now going, hey boys, the miracle happened in your midst. I wanna remind you that I'm your shepherd, you shall not want. Here's an entire basket of leftovers just for each of you. This is him saying, you're, I'm your shepherd, you shall not want. I, I will take care of you. What's he doing in this story? All the way from the rest to the compassion to the provision. He is shepherding even his disciples, reminding them, I'm your shepherd, you shall not want. I'm your shepherd. You shall not want. How is all this happening? It's happening because Jesus alone can provide what is needed despite impossible circumstances. In John's telling of this story, John chapter 6, we get a little glimpse of what happens after this story. Mark doesn't tell us this, but after this story, the the people are pretty smart. They're thinking, this guy gives us free lunch. We're gonna stick around with this guy. So they just follow him around. They just continue. Man, this, we never have to buy food again. This guy will just multiply our meals. So they follow him around to the point where Jesus actually speaks to this provision that they're getting. And he, he uses an opportunity to show them who he really is. Look at it in John 6, verse 32. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. This is one of seven I am statements of Jesus. It's him referencing back to the burning bush in the Old Testament. He's saying, I am who I am. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I want you to hear today, Hope Church. If you're here, I believe some of you are like the people on that shore that day. That you're in church today and you've been hanging around for a little bit because you just think that guy gives me the stuff that I need to live. And that's true. He provides everything for all of creation. But maybe today, like these people, you would hear, it's not that he gives you, the, it's not that he just gives you the stuff to live. He's also provided for you his very life. And he desires for you not to just continue to chase whatever you think is satisfying you, but to come to the bread of life where you will never hunger and you will never thirst and taste and see today that the Lord is good. I believe there are people that come to Hope Church every single week and you've just never trusted Jesus for salvation. You're just on the seashore trying to get the scraps of bread that fall from the table, but come and taste and see today that the Lord is good. You can trust that he's done everything necessary. We talked about it earlier. He's died in your place for your sin. He rose again to declare victory over all the things that plague us in this life. And we can surrender the control of our lives to Jesus. We can never hunger again spiritually. We can be full. I believe every week there are people here that need to come into a relationship with Jesus. And in just a moment, we're gonna have pastors up here like we always do. We would love the opportunity to, to show you what it looks like to follow Jesus, to surrender the control of your life to him. But I also believe there's followers of Jesus here today that are facing some impossible circumstances. What looks like a sea of people and nothing to give them. Whatever that looks like in your health, your marriage, your finances. And I just wanna invite you, our pastors will be here. We'd love to pray for you, but maybe you just take this altar. Again, wanna remind, there's nothing special about this altar. But there's something really special about a posture of humility before a holy God. 
bringing that little thing you have, that little prayer, and placing it in God's hands to say, God, only you can do miraculous things in this impossible circumstance. So just like last service, there's people up here just crying out on behalf of their impossible circumstance right here at this altar, trusting it into the hands of a very capable Savior who can multiply and do the miraculous. Maybe for others of you, you challenged and convicted by the lack of compassion you have for other people. Maybe as we stand to sing in just a moment, you would just ask the Lord, give me, give me your eyes to see. Let me tap into that rescuing grace that gives me your eyes for the people in my life because I don't have it right now, Lord. However the Holy Spirit may be leading, I pray we would all be obedient and following. So Jesus, whatever this looks like, we trust you, Holy Spirit, to move and work as our pastors come up here, as we're available to pray, to talk to people about a relationship with Jesus, as people come up here and just throw their impossible circumstances into your hands, pray you'd move and work and have your way. We love you. We need you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.